Thanks for tuning in to the Diabetes Dish Podcast, brought to you by OnTrackDiabetes.com and the OnTrack Diabetes app, available for the iPhone and Android. Here's your host, Ann Galt. This is the Diabetes Dish. I'm Ann Galt, editor of OnTrack Diabetes. If you live with type 1, type 2, or prediabetes, I hope you'll make OnTrack your go-to source for blood sugar management tips healthy recipes, and the inspiration you need to live your best life with diabetes. On the show today, I'm pleased to welcome two young professionals, the dynamic duo of Emily Goldman and Christy Least. Both type 1s, Emily and Christy met a few years ago when they were students at Boston University. They quickly discovered the benefits of having a friend with type 1, someone who truly gets it who literally understands your blood sugar highs and lows, or a person you can turn to for a second opinion about treating a blood sugar issue, or when you need a little sympathy because you need to complain about having diabetes. Out of this friendship, a podcast was born, and I really love the title. They call it the Pancreas Pals. Their podcast covers the serious and not-so-serious aspects of type 1 diabetes in the lives of two young adults. Nothing is off-limits for these two, from dating and traveling to beeping at work. Emily and Christy have been there and share their personal stories and hard-won insight. In one of my favorite episodes, Damn It, Grandma, I'm Diabetic, Emily and Christy discover the awkwardness of giving yourself insulin shots and pricking your finger in front of pancreas-capable people, including Grandma. The third season of Pancreas Pals launches February 11th, and I hear it's chock full of cool peeps, type 1 experts, and features lots of personal diagnosis stories. You can download the show on iTunes or from the Pancreas Pals website. I'm pleased to welcome Emily and Christy to the Diabetes Dish, and to kick things off, I've asked them to share their diagnosis stories because let's face it, you'll never forget the day you're diagnosed with type 1 and that's the day that life as you know it changes forever. Let's start with Christy. Hi everybody. So I guess my story is not really something that started or ended in a single day or even a week. I was feeling sick for probably about a year, year and a half before I was finally forced to acknowledge what was going on. Um, I think a lot of people tend to refer to my story just as like the big, bad, diabetic, ketoacidosis, just drama. And that's what it was. It was a a DKA that came after just a long time of feeling horrible. It was really easy for me to ignore the, the symptoms because... I was heading into my senior year of high school. I was a very dedicated student. So I I was able to attribute my exhaustion to studying and having an active social life. I didn't want to think that something bad was happening to me as I was heading into my senior year of high school when you're supposed to be gaining independence. You know, you have your own car, you're getting ready to go to college and make all these big decisions. I didn't want to be feeling as weak as I was, so I ignored it for a very long time. Mm. And then one day in July, I was not able to ignore it anymore. I woke up in the morning and I was so thirsty. I just, I kept peeing. I felt so sick. I couldn't really see straight. I was panting like a sick little puppy. And my mom just kind of looked at me and she was like, oh no, water is not going to do it. The last thing I remember clearly before leaving the house was throwing up, which I now understand, I think is the, like once that happens, it just sets you off into DKA. Uh, My mom said my eyes just kind of swallowed in on themselves. And before I knew it, we were in the minivan whipping up the watchroom reservation. I don't know how many traffic laws my mom broke getting me to the hospital, but... (laughs) She got me there in enough time for them to very quickly assess what was going on. A lot of this comes from my mom's memory because I would in, I went into a coma pretty quickly after we got there. Oh, that's so, scary. Was it, 
horrifying. Was it daytime? Was it nighttime when this was happening? It was early, very early morning. Mm. Um, I kind of, I started to feel sick before I went to sleep. Um, just like the very heavy panting, just an excruciatingly dry mouth. I just, mm. I couldn't get comfortable. And I was just so, so scared that I, I told myself, sleep it off, calm down. And it, I couldn't really calm myself out of a DKA. Ugh. So basically what that means is just that my, <laughs> my blood sugar, I wish, I wish I could breathe in and out and it would have just slowed things down <laughs> even. But basically my blood sugar was so high, my body was just kind of shutting down. And again, a lot of this is from my mom's perspective. Uh, the doctor was standing there talking to my mom. She always describes me as like Snow White because I was behind this little glass wall and she said I was just laying there and everyone just surrounded me. Everyone in the emergency unit just like ran in. Fluids were just pouring on out of me uncontrollably trying to just purge all of the extra sodium and glucose that I was carrying and unable to get rid of. And that's why I went into the coma. And the doctor told my mom, we're going to try to limit brain damage. And oh, gosh. How long has she been diabetic? And... I mean, my, my poor mother is just standing there like, well, can she have my pancreas? Like, how does this work? Mm. So I remember kind of going in and out of the coma. Um, I remember clearly kind of waking up one day, and I think it was one of the first times I had come out of the coma, and everyone would just, just kind of pause. And it was my sister taking off my nail polish. I think they needed to, like, monitor the color of my nails for oxygen levels or something like that. So I remember my sister just kind of like tenderly taking off my nail polish and asking me if I was okay. And I just went back to sleep because obviously I was not. Mm. And then the next semi-clear memory I have, and I think that this was the night before I really started to come to and, you know, they could actually establish that I didn't have brain damage and oh. all the other side effects that can absolutely happen. I mean, if we had gotten to the hospital minutes later, I just don't know. And I remember waking up and... I just, I felt myself in the hospital bed. You know, I kind of, for the first time, had a little bit of a clear mind to take in where I was and just everything that I was hooked up to. And the only thing I could think of, considering how awful I had been feeling and I'd just been in such denial, all I could think was, I, I guess I have cancer. Like, that's why I am in this hospital. That's what's going on. So in the middle of the night, as I'm finally having something of a clear thought, I turn over to my mom, who you know, couldn't leave her baby bear. And she slept in the chair next to me every day for over a week. She made like a makeshift bed out of a couple of hospital chairs. She probably stole from the waiting room. And I don't know how I knew to ask this. I mean, I thought I had cancer. So I asked mom, do I have cancer? And she said, no. And I, I don't really know if I had heard someone say this, if I was conscious or unconscious, but my next question was, oh, do I just have diabetes? And she said, Yes, but how did you know to ask that? And I just said, no, I don't know, and went back to sleep. Oh, my and the next so, day is when I was caught up on everything that I had missed in the past couple of days. So you were in a coma for a few days then? Yes. And you don't have any memory, and oh, my gosh, I wonder what your mom's, your mom must have been living through hell. I, unfortunately, I have a pretty good insight as to how my mom felt, because she keeps, she's a writer, so she keeps very close notes and journals on things that are happening. And she actually sent me um, the little diary that she'd been keeping at the time about my diagnosis. And it, it's horrifying Aww. to read because she had, she had notes from a few days before we had gone to the beach with some of her friends. And she had these notes about Christy seemed very tired today. Like, I hope she's not running herself down. And then just her thoughts afterwards, after the diagnosis had you know, been established and confirmed. I mean, I am not a mother, but I, I just feel awful she ever had to feel any of the way that she did because it's just thoughts of how did I not notice that something bigger was going on? And then that, that it, it's just a horrible, horrible diagnosis story, unfortunately. Oh, and it was a while ago now, though, since you, you've had a college a few years and you were in high school at the time, but I'm, I'm sure your mom has vivid memories of something that terrifying. Oh, so sorry. Yeah, so I, 
I'm sure I, I say it very wholeheartedly. I think it was probably worse for her than me. Mm. Do you think um, it was fortunate in a way that it happened when it did? I mean, what if you had no knowledge of this and here you are in college with nobody? That that was <laughs> I mean, right. I suppose I, Emily can speak to that a little bit more than I can. I had a year of training before I went off to college, but. I mean, Emily was diagnosed in college, so if you want to take it away, Emily, you can answer that question a whole lot better than I can. Great segue. Go ahead. Okay. Yeah, what a segue. Um, hi, I'm Emily Goldman. Um, so my diagnosis story is not nearly as dramatic as Christie's because it's not know, a competition, sweetie. <laughs> yeah, I, we say this every time, but every time we oh get Christie's story, we literally always say this. I am in awe and just like amazed at this well-adjusted human that is sitting on the Same other end, end of the result, kid. We both stab ourselves I mean, with okay. needles all the time. <laughs> true, touche. We have the same lack of working grace, but needless to say, I am a type 1 diabetic and I was diagnosed in between my softness, a lot of things in between that. So I had Hashimoto's disease, which is a thyroid disease since I was 12. And that's something that runs in my family. And, you know, it's pretty simple. You just take a pill every morning and it regulates your metabolism and all of that fun things that has to do with your thyroid. But I am from Jacksonville, Florida, and I, I have definitely a skewed view coming from Jacksonville as far as the way my diagnosis was handled. And I get a lot of uh, anger from my parents in the way that I, I talk about my hometown on the podcast. Aww. But I do, yeah, I, I, it's different for me. So I was diagnosed, I was misdiagnosed, I should say, my freshman year of college, in between my freshman and sophomore year, I went in for a routine new general practitioner appointment and they didn't tell me I was having blood work done. And so I you were home. may or may not. You were home. I'm just interrupting for a second. You were oh, home. Yeah, you were home in Florida. You weren't in school in Boston at this time. You were home. Correct. So I was interning. I was at home. It was the summer in between my sophomore or sorry, my freshman and sophomore year of college. Mm -hmm. And I was home in Jacksonville, Florida. And I had started seeing a new general practitioner and I was unaware that I was going to be having blood work done, fasting blood work, which again, I was unaware. And I had a big bowl of cereal that morning. And uh, sorry, mom and dad, if you're listening, but you already know this. Actually, I had had uh, four frozen margaritas the night before, homemade, (laughs) watered down smallish uh-huh. glasses in my defense but sugary nonetheless and I go to I love the doctor. you Emily. I'm <laughs> this is real this is me I can only speak the truth guys mm-hmm. um I go to the doctor and um I feel fine like nothing's really off and I get my results back and they call me in and I was like oh this is weird so I go to the general practitioner and she's like, oh, your blood sugar was like 300. Did you do this fasting? Like, what's going on? And I was like, oh, I didn't fast for this. And she's like, oh, you're pre-diabetic. Here, let's put you on metformin. And I was like, wait, what? And she immediately started me on metformin. And I was really confused because I have no family history. I was no more than 10 pounds overweight at the time. Like I gained the freshman 15 type of thing. And again, no family history. I led a fairly active, very healthy lifestyle. My mother is a chef and always made sure that I had, I knew to eat my greens, eat my, you know, my protein and just eat a little bit of carb here and there. I was not perfect. I'll be the first to say that my mom makes amazing dessert. And I always went for the cookies at Boston University in their, uh, in their dining hall. So good. So worth it. Cause you can attest to that. But, um, (laughs) I know exactly what you're talking about. (laughs) They had M&Ms in it. How am I supposed to pass that up? Anyways, (laughs) I, this is just the beginning. Sorry. I'm, I'm making this pretty long winded, but I was on metformin for three days, was so sick, could not get out of bed. Just like clearly not for me. And I, I, you're not supposed to do this. And I wholeheartedly tell everyone to always listen to their doctors, but I stopped taking the metformin and started. I mean, I don't know enough about metformin per se, what it does to a person with type one who takes it, but I know this happens a fair amount. What was it doing to your blood sugar? Do you know? And is that why you felt so funky? 
I actually have no idea over those three days because mm-hmm. I they hadn't given me a meet or anything. Like I, it was just a horrible situation. Um, I'd like to think that if anyone's diagnosed as pre-diabetic or diabetic, they'd give you a meter, at least suggest that you're checking your blood sugar or monitoring it or coming in at some point to discuss what's going on. Um, I, however, was not given that opportunity uh, from what I can recall, but I went to see my endocrinologist like the next day because I was like, I have a specialist already for my thyroid disease. Let me go see what she has to say also why is she not testing me for diabetes like shouldn't this be something that i get tested for every year mm-hmm. so i go in and my a1c was like 6.4 and she was like well this is elevated you're pre-diabetic and I, I was like what is going on like i have no family history she was like oh cut out carbs for a year and we'll monitor your blood sugar once a week and see what's going on and like to take my blood sugar two hours after i had eaten something so I do this for a year. I have blood sugars in the upward 300s uh, towards the last six months, I believe it was, of that year. Um, so I was a sophomore at this point in college, and oh I was gosh. going through sorority recruitment. How hard was that was, to just um, cut out carbs cold turkey? It was probably the worst year of my life um, for so many reasons regarding diabetes. Like That's when I started to get really sick. I I didn't uh, even know what carbs like what food had carbs and which didn't at that time. I had to go through a ton of training. They just told you to cut them out. I can understand that. Absolutely. Yeah, they just Emily here, they just told me to to cut them out and I that include I went to see a nutritionist in that same practice and she was like, Okay, no bananas, no this, no this. And I'm like, I'm gonna get scurvy living in Boston. <laughs> like, I, there's no way. Like, anyways, I listen to them. I get very sick. Um, I'm calling the office every day. Meanwhile, the office in Jacksonville, while I'm in Boston attending Boston University, and like two miles away from Jocelyn, the, one of the best diabetes centers in the world, I'm still calling Jacksonville every day to tell my doctors, like, hey. I don't know what's going on. Like I'm having these symptoms now. I just checked my blood sugar. It was like 380. Like, I don't think, I think something's wrong. And they're like, oh, drink more water. That was their answer to everything for the last three months of my diagnosis. And finally, I was home for two days before heading up to an internship in the Big Apple in New York. I was home in Jacksonville gathering up my summer stuff and saying hi to my grandparents before jetting off to a big fashion internship up here in New York. And I felt like I was dying. Like I did not pass out or anything like that, but I vividly remember driving my older sister to the beach. um, And we lived, which was like a 25 minute drive at this time. And I didn't want to let her use my car. So I was like, oh, I'll drive you and then go hang out with my friends at the beach as well. And then we'll drive back. And on our way over there, I was like, Elizabeth, something is not right. I do not feel well. Like, I feel like I'm going to throw up and pass out simultaneously. Like, and I had been peeing like every five seconds. I was drinking 20 tumblers of water a day, like 20, 24 ounce tumblers a day. And literally peeing like every two seconds, had no carbs, still had blood sugars in the upper, upper 300s, 400s ish. And I was like, this is not right. There's no way I'm like, I have, I was like, they had told me that I could not be type one. They were like, you are 20 years old. You are not type one. That's juvenile diabetes. Has any medical professional ever told you that that year of sort of living dangerously, did it do any kind of long-term damage or anything? I mean, that is a crazy story. Oh, it, well, it kind of gets worse because I had tested positive for one of the markers of type one, but they were like, oh, no, you can't have it. Ugh. And I was like, what is going on? So my eyesight got really wonky towards the end of that. And I wear glasses like on weekends and holidays. I don't wear them as often as I should be, mm-hmm. but I was wearing them every day to see really at all. And I had gotten also a really bad situation with an eye doctor who was like, oh, I think you have this rare disease. Let's do a spinal tap. And I was like, oh my what gosh. is going on? But yeah, I was like, what is happening with my life? People no, no one's touching me. I've had such, a, like I tell my doctors, I go to the Naomi Diabetes uh, Center, Naomi Berry Diabetes Center up here at Columbia in New York. And they are amazing. And every time I tell them the story, they're like, how are you here? 
that is so wrong. So I, you know, finally got the right care. I went on multiple daily injections. I started feeling better. I, you know, so who did diet? Who did diagnose you then? That actually, the doctor that misdiagnosed me properly diagnosed me. I headed in um, at, at, on an emergency visit the day I was driving my sister to the beach. To the beach. And my A one C was eight. Yeah, my A1C was 8.6, and um, I, which is, they still caught it early enough, is mm-hmm. what I learned from mm-hmm. that. At least I wasn't like 14 or 12, yeah. but I, you know, could have avoided damage. The I didn't have long-term damage to my eyes. The moral of is I was really lucky, and I kind of took my health into my own hands, and I was like, I'm coming in. I feel awful. This isn't right. And they were like, you're right. This was our mistake. But <sighs> I, my mom went in with me. And I just got the, my doctor had a horrible bedside manner and just kind of was like, oh, you're diabetic. And I started crying because I I knew no one with type one. I had the only person I'd ever known was my next door neighbor who had passed away from complications of type one. Oh my gosh. Um, it, yeah, it was just like the perfect storm of horrible things. Her name was Allison. She was amazing. She was 23 when she passed and I was 20 when I was diagnosed. Oh. And um, it was just the perfect storm of terror to kind of set me off on this anxiety roller coaster. And my mom is sitting there next to me and my mom is crying and I'm crying. And we're just sitting there like staring at each other. Like we know no one with this disease to us. It was a death sentence. But then I didn't let that stop me. I went up to New York two days later, got better doctors up here, went, had a big time internship at a big publication, fashion publication up here, lived my best life, got the help I needed, you know, got all of this new technology. And here I am three years later, really trying to, to help others in the same role when I wish I had a pancreas pal to turn to anyone that knew what I was going through or even knew what type one diabetes was. And I think that's like a big reason why I'm so passionate about educating people and telling me and Christy's story is because, you know, we didn't have that when we were diagnosed and I had the scary, I always say that I crashed into diabetes. I didn't like casually slide. I, I fell into it um, long before I was properly diagnosed. So it's I'm still I'm still stuck on the fact that two days after you di- were diagnosed, you flew up to Manhattan. I mean, your My life mom hates me for it. Oh, <laughs> uh, I mean, you know, I I admire that um, boldness and whatever it takes to you know motivate you to just stick to your plan and type in spite of your life sort of exploding. But my goodness, I'm I'm assuming that the minute you got to Manhattan, you were very motivated to find a doctor and just learn yes. as much as you could and, you know, to try to feel better. I mean, how long did it take to start to turn around? So I started feeling the difference as soon as they first injected me with that first, you know, like I think five hours after they injected me with insulin. Wow. I, it was one of those things that I've been feeling so sick for so long. And then all of a sudden it was like a cloud had lifted literally wow. over my eyes. Like I could see again um, a lot better. I wasn't blind or anything like that. I just, everything was fuzzy. And I learned it was because there was like a film of glucose over my eyes because it, sugar had spread everywhere it could in my body. And that included my, the film of my eye. Um, And it was, you know, I'm so lucky that I went in the day that I did because I could have ended up in a similar situation as Christy. But um, luckily, I mean, I was, I was 20 when I was diagnosed and I was a sophomore slash junior in college. And I studied abroad that like six months after I went to London, my parents were like, you need to cool it. You're going insane here. Like you were diagnosed not even a year ago and you're jetting off to London. And I was like, this won't stop me. I probably should have stayed home. There's some things that I, that happened where I'm like, okay, that was scary looking back, but I made it. I had so much fun. Um, It was like, such a whirlwind and I am a I just I believe so much that you can't let this disease stop you and I'm sure my parents would have loved if I had stayed close they even offered for me to take a semester off from school they were like oh you know like if you want to like cool it I was like no I'm not gonna be behind (laughs) like I Uh, you are the poster child of not letting diabetes stand in your way I'm thinking um So, I don't know about that, but I'm a believer in it. Uh, well, it's pretty <laughs> impressive. Well, can you both tell me, maybe Christy, you can start, like where the idea for pot, 
Pancreas Palace came from and how you met and a little bit about, you know, your friendship. I'm thinking it was probably instantaneous, like you sort of recognized somehow that you both had type one or maybe not because one of you uses a pump and one of you doesn't. So, yeah, so it, it was, in fact, at BU. Emily and I were in uh, one of the, our classes at the School of Communications together. We had been in this class for probably, like, over a month, I'm thinking, because it was for, um, like, a long-term project. project. Emily announced yeah. to the class that she was doing a pro We all had to announce our subjects for our video kind of, like, production class. And Emily said, I want to do mine on type 1 diabetes. It's going to be really hard for me to film myself. And I was just so excited. I turned around. And I was just like, I'm type 1. You can film me. Like, oh, wow. We were, we were on not sorry, sides of the here. room. Yeah. <laughs> oh, <laughs> we were, wow. And she like, turned around. And I was as far away from her as I could be sitting wise, just the way it worked out. Like, how and big was just, the class? Like, 50, 100 or smaller? No, oh, no. Not that, oh, no. not that big. I'm going to say it was like maybe like 20 15. people, but oh, okay. But you yeah. know, in, the, in those kinds of classes, though, I mean, if I hadn't been paying attention and heard her say type one, I mean, I easily could have missed it until the project came out. Wow. Um, but I just <laughs> couldn't believe that I finally had someone else at college to talk about this with. And Emily, correct me if I'm wrong. I think I came up with the name Pancreas Pals, but it certainly was not for like the title the of podcast. anything. Like, yeah, we did not think we were naming. Yeah our podcast, I think we just kind of, you know, got to talking. She came over to my apartment and filmed my much coveted medical drawer. And, <laughs> and why is that much coveted? Cause it's really organized and pretty. And I have a lot of vitamins and needles everywhere. Oh, wow. Have you ever put a picture of it on your Instagram page? I'm, I'm really curious. Actually, yes. She I has. Have, I, all right, I have to go back that up. Yeah, it was one of our it was one of our first posts, I believe, because when we first started, sorry, Emily here trying to distinguish. Um, when we first started, it was one of those things that we first started talking about that class, but it was in passing. It was when we were I mean, I was I'm a year ahead of Christy. <laughs> Uh, in life, but not in maturity. And mm -hmm. I was a senior in college and Christy was a junior at the time. And Christy was really, really big in the school's radio station. She had like played a big role and I thought that was so cool. And I was like, this chick is so cool. She has her life together. She's had diabetes longer than I have. She knows what she's doing, like mm -hmm. all this stuff. And bless your heart, Emily. <laughs> Mm -hmm. I just thought really highly of you, okay? One of the things that was really hard is that I'm living in New York and Christie's in Boston. And, um, you know, like a phone call here and there was like, you know, like, hey, what's up? How are you doing? I'm not the best texter. Um, it was one of those things that we had a phone call one day, I think it was, Christy, and we were like, we should record this. And I, correct me if I'm wrong, Christy. I don't know. We ended no, up. I mean, that's that's definitely what we did when you first moved. I was just like a bitter little person um, who was abandoned. I finally found you. <laughs> oh, no, like, you missed your diabetes, right? I did. Yeah, I pancreas did. Call, yeah. Oh, so, so it really think, grew out of a long distance kind of friendship and a way yeah, to keep got, in touch, right? We got so in the habit of just checking in with each other when we were having if it was a victory or it was a horrible i need someone to feel bad for me kind of day so um, many horrible just, days so many horrible days we just really got in the habit of checking in with each other and i realized how necessary it was to have a pancreas pal actually on one of my walks home i had no idea who of my roommates was home and i lived just far enough on campus that i always had to account for my walk home from class is like an actual workout. Mm. And I was texting Emily because I was having a really bad low and I was walking home and I was like, I am so close to being to my apartment and my blood sugar is like dropping. I just don't have a juice box on me. And I think Emily, you called me like to make sure that I had gotten home. Okay. And it was just such a comfort and it's just different when yeah, you have no, someone who really knows what the numbers mean. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. You were like 25 sitting on a stoop. I, I, I was, yeah, like, I was. I was, I was a stoop kid. I was sitting on the stoop. 
And that's where we just kind of realized that people need to be talking about this. It just, everyone who has felt this miserable, and I mean, all it, at the end of the day, we're so lucky that all it takes for us, whether we're high or low to feel better, is insulin or juice. And we live this like beautiful, charmed little diabetic life where we have access to those things. But all the same, anyone, regardless, who deals with type 1 knows just how vulnerable and awful it feels to feel just like so helplessly sick. And like when you're low, yes, you can get it back up with juice and your blood sugar will return to normal eventually. But in the moment, if you don't have someone to check in with who honestly understands how you feel, but you're, you are missing out. And it's something that I didn't know I was missing until I found it. So you both didn't have like, close friends who had diabetes it was like you both were meeting and connecting kind of for the same reason at the same time it sounds like yeah, yeah I, I didn't mean, have I anyone know. that I was texting I <laughs> the person I knew at the time was um I nannied for two years in college and I nannied um an awesome one of three awesome children uh the middle child had type one so until mm. Emily Olivia was my my best pancreas. Pal oh ever. yeah, I'm so. Uh, she's still a forever pancreas pal as well. Um, but you know, it's it's different having someone your own age. Like I can't really talk about. Oh, you know, blood sugar and wine. I can't really talk about that with Olivia quite yet. <laughs> yeah, I had actually. Now that I think about it, I had actually known um, God. If uh, shout out to my friend Ian. He was, I guess, my original friends with uh, type one we were in the same program at bu a year before or this is my freshman year of college and then i we had kind of you know gone our separate ways a little bit but would still run into each other and so i wasn't diabetic when i first met him i was just like wow this kid has a tube popping out like that's weird like what's going on like any non-diabetic person who's unfamiliar with the disease would think, um, which now I chastise those people all the time, even though I was once one of them. So I'm a hypocrite. I will be the first to admit that. Um, <laughs> I would go up to, and Ian, I remember they told me I was pre-diabetic and he, I told that to him and he was like, what? Like, that's so weird. Like, okay, like keep me posted, like whatever. And then when I was diabetic, when I was diagnosed, um, Ian and I were still friends, but he's, he's a guy with type one, um, this I don't know I don't want to get graphic or anything but it being a woman with type 1 is very different than being a man with type 1 just oh, because of the hormones and the way sure. that affects your blood sugar. We are hormonal little monsters and it's we hard. Are, and you have to like I don't know about some of the listeners but like I have to temp basal on my insulin pump which means like adjust my insulin levels based on my time of the month and as much as I love Ian you know he couldn't really attest to that and um, he was a great sounding board for how many carbs something might be but we were never at the like now we're at that level where I text him and be like oh I'm having such a day but Christy was really the first person that I could turn to and be like yo you know, I'm going on my first date with this guy. How do I, how do I handle telling him I'm diabetic or how, even though we kind of still are leading, you know, it's like the blind leading the blind, but at least we're, I know, we're, trying, we're, we're struggling together. We can like hold hands as we're falling. Um, but it's funny. <laughs> I always say, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. I was just going to say, I always say that we're surviving, not thriving. Um, Christy and I are really helping each other get to thriving. I, I am a full believer that we are on that path and we are living our best diabetic lives, as we always say. But it takes a while to, I mean, who in their 20s is thriving? That's what I want to know, regardless think, of diabetes. Like, who I has a like, in their 20s? By age 57, I think I'm going to be thriving. Because then it'll be really <laughs> acceptable so for me to live the grandpa lifestyle I am. Um, uh, Emily, I feel like Emily and I are also just like synced up in life. Like we both got into relationships at the same time huh. and somehow that like literally within, if it wasn't within a week, like call me big fat liar, but I'm, pr I'm pretty sure we were like, Oh, I met someone. Like, so you really have with parallel. Yeah. Like parallel lives in a way. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah, just made it, it's just made it easier to talk about because, like, we both had to deal with like our first low blood sugars in front of these guys and all of that other oh, exotic God, stuff. Story in itself. Yeah, yeah, check that out on our podcast. We have quite <laughs> a few embarrassing stories oh. that 
Yeah, I I think that I love those episodes. (laughs) I I listen to the dating ones a lot because um, as as many as I I could, uh, because, you know, when you're in your 20s, that's what a lot of people are doing. So I can only imagine the challenges of, you know, adding a type one diagnosis into that. I mean, could you imagine what dating a type one would be like or would that just be? I mean, do you know any people with type one that date other type ones? I'm just wondering. I, I, I do actually. No, I know. I don't. Yeah. Um, I know it through the juvenile diabetes research foundation, JDRS. I'm a member of the youth leadership committee and or young leaders committee. Wow. I mess that up every time, even though I'm like, on the new membership board. Anyways, I lead a confusing life, but um, they are married and I'm always like, wow, I would, I, we would never get any sleep. Like I have, like Christy, you wake up once a night to check your blood sugar. I have a Dexcom that beeps at me constantly. And I just like, luckily my boyfriend is such a trooper and he is so kind. And I know Christy's boyfriend, Zach is as well. They're just really here for us. And well, my boyfriend runs me on the back and it's just like, (laughs) I know they're such nuggets. Rich will just uh, rub my back and be like, "It's gonna be okay. Do you want me to get you juice? Like, do you need anything?" And I'm like, "I'm good, Rich. Keep watching Lord of the Rings. Like, <laughs> everything's gonna be fine." <laughs> if it's during the evening though, for like it's early in the morning, if I even roll over because I feel like I need to check my blood sugar, Zach like has the juice box ready before I've even gotten the low reading. <sighs> How does he know? It's like if I roll over and I don't even bother because like I do because I'm on injections. I don't have anything to warn me when I'm dropping. So I set an alarm like I haven't slept through the night in like count how many days through when I was diagnosed. Like I don't sleep through the night. I probably never will again. I have to stop you because I am just fascinated by by the fact that you're you're old school and I know in your podcast you refer to yourself as a grandpa and I just wondered if you could talk about that (laughs) a little bit I mean you know you guys grew up on technology and the idea that somebody your age would be sort of resistant to it or maybe you just feel like you have control (laughs) Mm -hmm. heck technology I work in tech PR so I really shouldn't be saying that but I I am too anxious a person. I think if I had to, if I constantly had something beeping at me, reminding me that in addition to whatever stress is going on, I also have to worry about my blood sugar. I would just shut my ears off to avoid the beeping. Um, I really have gotten to a place where I like to focus on the end result. Like where is my blood sugar going to end up in a couple hours? Mm-hmm. I, I can't think about it in terms of like, is this going to give me a little bit of a spike for like 20 minutes and then come right back down? Like I can't deal with something yelling at me for that 20 minutes. Well, I could see how that would be very anxiety provoking, but I'm, I'm wondering if um, you, Christy might feel like might be better in touch with your body in a way because you don't rely oh, on is, technology. Sure. I, yeah. That, that's the thing. As much as I check in the middle of every night because I set an alarm in the middle of every night, but it's kind of creepy if I set like whatever I set my alarm for in the morning, I'm an early riser anyway. So I hardly ever need my alarm to wake me up. Um, I, my body wakes me up like clockwork two minutes before my alarm goes off. And if I'm low, my body will wake me up sometimes in a horrible way. I tend to have really stressful dreams and then I'll wake up and I'll just know, like, I'll kind of be in a cold sweat. And I'm like, oh, nope, low. Um, I know when I'm dropping. I know when I'm rising. I am very in tune for better or for worse. Because, I mean, sometimes I have a horrible, horrible headache. And I know I'm dropping. But also that probably means that I was high from, you know, whatever I ate. So I need to come down. And just for me personally, the best thing that I can do is drink some water, calm down and like check after I have settled. Cause chances are by that time, my number will be in a much better place. But if I get myself into a headset that like something is wrong, like that is just something I cannot think about because for a very long time before I was diagnosed, as I mentioned, 
for like a year, a year and a half, that's all that I could think about was just something is wrong. Something is wrong. Well, how do and, you calm yourself down? I mean, do you breathe? Are there meditation exercises you do? What how, What do you do? Um, I love my glass of water, like ice water. I think because, so <laughs> this is a fun other little tidbit about my time in the hospital. Um, my blood sugar was so high that even when I came out of uh, the DKA, I still wasn't allowed to eat for like three days. And I was not allowed to have water because anything that was not oxygen and like the fluids that were coming in to my body through the IV, like I could not even have a sip of water because it was going to make me sick. So when I was finally allowed to eat and drink again, first of all, my first meal in the hospital were these really terrible pancakes. I was very disappointed. But because my mouth was so dry from not being allowed to drink any water, the first thing that I wanted when they said, okay, you can eat and drink again, I got a, a glass of ice water. And I swear to God, nothing has ever tasted oh. so wonderful in my entire life. To so when I just, it, it's a calming thing. It's just like a Christy, you're okay. Drink your darn glass of ice water and you'll be fine. And I'm also super fortunate that I have just incredible people in my life that I tend, um, other than Emily, the people in my life, like I reach out to, but not directly about diabetes, even if I'm having a bad diabetic moment. Like if I'm low and I'm waiting for the juice box to kick in and I just need to be in a better mood, if I can't get Emily on the phone or I just don't feel like, you know, giving the load that amount of attention, I'll text my roommate and I'll say, hey, do you want to watch this fun movie later? Or I'll text my boyfriend and I'll say, hey, what do you want to make for dinner tomorrow night? I think about something else as completely as I possibly can. Like a distraction. Mm -hmm. Exactly. It, it just takes me to a place a little bit better than the place I'm at because as uncomfortable as lows and highs are, the truth is like given the resources that Emily and I have, they are temporary discomforts. So I think about my permanent comforts to okay. get and it, me out and of them. I'm I'm thinking it makes you feel a little normal to do something normal while you're waiting for your body to adjust, no? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think it's it's just such a headache. I say this all the time. We live just a good chunk of our lives with a headache. And to like echo Emily's definition, you can't let it stop your life. You also can't let it stop your day. You know, every, every meal, every hour of every day is an opportunity to do a little better. Mm -hmm. And I think that's something the disease has certainly taught me. I don't think I'll ever be glad that I have it per se, but I think the opportunity to start over and kind of give yourself a clean slate Every time you check your meter, even if it's a bad number, like that doesn't have to define the rest of your day, let alone the rest of your week. You just have to take care of yourself and do what you have to do to get yourself in a better place. But like, it's not always going to be like that. It's not always going to be a really high number, or a really low number. It's, it's all, it's all fixable. You know, the disease is permanent, but like that awful feeling isn't going to last forever. Right. Right. Well, um, Emily, do you, can you comment about using technology and, and I'm interested what you think of Christie's approach? Yeah. So, um, I am on the Omnipod for my, uh, my pump and then, wow, I just had like a moment to freeze. Uh, <laughs> and I am on the Dexcom as my continuous glucose monitor and, I switched over to both of those around the same time, um, I think six months into my diagnosis. So I'd done six months of MDI, multiple daily injections, and really trying to learn the difference between my highs and lows. Mm -hmm. And I found for me, um, I could not really distinguish, the, like I was feeling lows too late sometimes, and oh. it was causing me a lot of anxiety. and. I already am someone who is naturally a very anxious person and have had anxiety issues growing up and I'm pretty open about that. But this uh, diagnosis of type one really exacerbated it. And, you know, a low feeling, a low blood sugar is similar to the feelings of the onset of a panic attack. And I was just being triggered left and right and just could not 
really distinguish what was going on with my body and it was causing this really bad um, cycle for me. So I learned about the Dexcom for my amazing doctors at Naomi Berry and I was like, hell yeah, get me on it. Sorry if I'm not allowed to say that. You um, can say it. <laughs> I, <laughs> it already happened, my bad. Um, I went and learned how to do the Omnipod and the, uh, the Dexcom and I have to say Omnipod is amazing because tubes make me want to pass out and I was getting hematomas from my injection site so every oh. time I'd inject myself like five or six times a day I'd have these giant purple like blooming bruises all over oh. my stomach and legs and I was like this is so sad like I don't need another indicator you know, it was in the middle of summer when I was initially diagnosed and I was trying to wear my cute little shorts or my cute little skirts or whatever for my amazing bougie internship. And I <laughs> was like, this is so embarrassing. And I just was tired of having to go shoot up, you know, find a bathroom somewhere to give myself some insulin and it's, which is not the most hygienic thing to do. And it was just a number of factors that were really feeding into my anxiety with the disease. And for my first year that I have it, I always say my first year was my fight or flight mode. And I was just pure adrenaline powering through, not really thinking about the disease in terms of a chronic illness, but more like this is something that I need to get down and I need this to survive. And then my second year, I was like, okay, wow, you know, this is something I have. I'm still learning the ropes. Like this is doable. And then my third year, which is this past year, I really hit a wall and I was like, oh my God, this isn't going away. This is chronic. And I definitely had some bouts of depression with that. And it's just been like a very interesting transition to see how, you know, I still have my Dexcom, which was causing me a lot. It does cause me some anxiety. You know, I'll, I'll set my high alarm at like 220 now instead of being 180 where I had it for a while because my doctors were like, you're not going to be between 80 and 180 all hours of the day. And this is stressing you out and you need a reality check and you're not going to do this. So I was like, ah, okay. Um, and we changed it and I get so much more sleep now and I still am within the limits of where I want to be. And my doctors can check my CGM from, you know, I don't have to go in. I don't have to really upload anything because they're constantly checking my Dexcom if I email them. And I'm like, I've been super high lately. I'm really stressed or I need a new temp basal for when I have my period or something like that. Mm -hmm. They're super good about responding and being like, oh, I see this through your Dexcom. Also, I'm looking at your Omnipod. Like it's all Bluetooth, super in the cloud, which is also terrifying to think that my blood sugar numbers, like my actual body makeup is somewhere in the cloud. Like a part of me, my body reading yeah. is in the big bad world. But um you That's know, really personal information. <laughs> it's so personal. And Dexcom has a sharing component to it, which you, you can opt in or out of. And I am so glad that I've opted in it because my parents, especially my first year having it while I was in college, my parents have saved my life twice or oh, probably more really? than that now. But I, I would sleep through those really bad lows. And I my parents, I remember vividly one night just tag team calling me my dad was traveling for work and my mom was calling me from the house in Jacksonville and they didn't know that they were both calling me at the same time but they were getting these really urgent I said it so they can really only get the urgent low notifications because I don't need my parents like helicopter parenting me when I'm almost 24 mm -hmm. so I at the time though I was 20 and they were getting you know oh my god you're like you're, you're two arrows down at like 40 like something's not right and I was sleeping through all my alarms and the low they finally woke me up and they were like, M, like eat some Skittles, have some juice. And I was like, could barely speak. Oh, and I finally got it scary. together. So it was, it was really scary. And I just feel so lucky that I had that technology then because I was never a deep sleeper until my sleep started being affected by, because of diabetes, because I was having a higher low and waking up. And now I just need that sleep so much that I think my body just kind of ignores this outside noise and I mm -hmm. become a much heavier sleeper which is such a catch 22. Um, so right. I mean, I'm so lucky to have my Dexcom and I'm, I love it so much. Like it's really, I, it's a game changer for me for sure. Same with my Omnipod. So really what I'm getting hearing, you know, your takes on dealing with it is experimenting possibly and, and, and really finding what works for you and assessing sort of the many variables, anxiety being one of them. 
um, and keep trying. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I could see how numbers on a screen. And speaking of numbers, I did just want to ask you one more thing. Um, enter a new sort of topic of discussion, which is math. I am terrible in math, and yeah. I can't imagine. I was not told this would be a part of the podcast. Oh, but I mean, you know, <laughs> having type one and and all of a sudden, aside from the vocabulary and the equipment, like w- the math, right? You have to know numbers and count carbs. And was that something off-putting for both of you? Well, at first, I, I think absolutely, yeah. because... Your your thought when you're first taught about everything, at least for me, was I can't eat stuff like certain things anymore because they're high in carb. And that's not at all the case. Um, I mean, while there are times when it's not a great idea to have something that's really heavy in carb, if you know how to dose for what you're eating, at least in my eyes, there's nothing I can't eat. I just have to be aware. And where I've kind of gotten to, and because I do um, daily injections, I think this might, this probably works for me significantly better than it would for someone with a pump. But Emily, like, feel free to jump in and correct me. When I look at a plate of food, and this is something I'm going to definitely have to do uh, with Thanksgiving coming up, Mm. um, I don't think about my food in terms of carbs. I think about them in terms of units. So, like, I look at a plate of food, and I know how many units for me That's so interesting. Okay. And that doesn't mean that if, like, if I pick up uh, um, a box of granola bars, like, there's no reason for me not to look at the label and know that sort of thing. Um, but it's more for things that are not clearly labeled. Um, I just, I take everything in, and it, it, I suppose it is math, but I don't think about it in terms of, like, okay, this many carbs breaks down to this many units with this correction factor. Hmm. I have to take a moment to pause and really think about all the factors in my day that are going to affect what my blood sugar is at the moment and what it's going to be in an hour and what it's going to look like in the morning. So I take all of that in as best as I possibly can. And I make as educated a guess as I can. I think probably many medical health professionals want to yell at me um, Hmm. for not preaching carb counting because I know that is definitely the way that I was taught. But I think about things in terms of units, and so far, so good for the most part. Works for you. And it's, and using the technology, Emily, does that take some of the math out of it? Oh my God, it takes a good chunk of the math out of it. I mean, Christy, I Christy and I went were in the College of Communication at BU, and it's affectionately called the College of Optional Math. I am horrible <laughs> at math. That's adorable. Um, I. It's a. Uh, I mean. Any, uh, I hope no bosses are listening because I do financial reports. I report on um, <laughs> fashion businesses, so I definitely can do math. Um, it's something that I know how to do, but it's just such an added stressor to me. And that was one of my biggest, like, propo- that was one of the biggest pros for me in switching to an insulin pump is that it does it for me. I just have to mm. estimate slash put in the exact amount of carbs and all of my ratios and targets and everything are factored in. And it'll even adjust uh, for insulin I have on board already without having to, you know, remember when I gave my first injection and trying to do a calculation and divide it with that. So, And is it accurate? I mean, it's, it's you can depend on the accuracy. I mean, I've heard stories that, you know, people will have lows and you don't get an alert. So I'm just wondering does it ever mess up carb oh, counts? A, so my, I'm not on a closed loop system. So my CGM, my Dexcom and my pump don't uh, communicate. So okay. whenever I'm giving myself insulin, it's from a blood sugar reading. I don't necessarily use my, rely on my CGM for exact amounts. If I, 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 prick my finger anywhere from like three to seven times a day but I oh. as you can tell I'm a pretty anxious person um I'll do with Dexcom you're required to do two calibrations a day which is two finger pricks a day so on a really good day where I'm bouncing in between like 100 and 150 I'll only check twice <laughs> two or three times a day and I because I don't really need any corrections I just need to bolus for a meal 
But if I am, you know, wonky and at 300 one minute and 40 the next, then I, I definitely rely on my finger pricks. And that's to say that my meter is not always correct either. I've had to check, like double check a number because I'll feel fine. And I'll see one time I saw 400 and I was like, this is not possible. And I checked again and I was at like 140. Oh, okay. So it's really important to listen to your body, even, you know, for someone like me who has more trouble listening to their body and trusting what's going on. And so you can't turn off your brain completely with the technology. Oh, no, 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 no. I still, I override, if my doctor's listening, don't yell at me, but I override my pump sometimes and will under, underscore, like under, um, equate what is what is words i don't know uh under give myself insulin if i know i'm going to be walking if i know this and this and this because it's you know my pump doesn't factor in if i'm going to go on a 10 minute walk or if i get lost in manhattan somewhere oh, that's, right. that's something i need that's something i need to be able to factor in because i like yeah. we both emily and i both live in cities even though she's in new york and i'm in boston so even if i'm like a little bit if not if i'm technically high when i'm going for like my, my app snack at work I'm anticipating walking between train stations and then walking to my apartment sometimes I walk to my boyfriend's afterwards sometimes I have to walk to get dinner like mm-hmm. I'm the only one who knows approximately what my yeah. activity looks like for the next couple of hours and especially because Emily and I are both prone my mom calls it the witching hour like in, when it gets like 4 p.m and later and like the sun starts going down like the sun goes down so does my blood sugar wow. so I'm the only one who knows how to take care of myself on that level. Hmm. Yeah. I don't trust, not that I don't trust technology, but (laughs) yeah, I have the technology and I still, I'll, I'll give myself a bump a unit down or something like that. If I know I'm going to be walking for more than 10 minutes, it's just, you know, at, at some point technology is helpful, but human, like nothing will replace me and my brain and how I, I know my body's feeling in the moment. All right. Well, you know something? I definitely need to have you two ladies back again soon because I feel like there are about 500 other things we could talk about. Um, and the time has <laughs> we gone. Can, we can ramble for literally days, so please cut us. Oh, oh no. I, I dedicated to our rambles. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I'm going to kind of consider this the diagnosis story of Pancreas Pals episode, and, and maybe we can have you back to, you know, do some other aspect of life in your 20s. Um, but before I yeah, let you go, that. great. Before I let you we go. diagnosed with our personalities. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm I'm thinking a lot of the people listening to this are n- probably newly diagnosed. So, if you could just give your sort of go-to place um besides pancreas pals of course, uh for information to help you negotiate or navigate your your life after you're initially diagnosed, I would just love to hear from each of you kind of your favorite diabetes content places. Um, Emily here. My go-to is definitely um, JDRF and the all the groups that all the directions that they have from their website. They take you. I mean, even on track. I'm pretty sure is on there. Oh, I have to double track, but I definitely have visited on track before. Um, before my or during my diagnosis issues, because you literally have a tab for all the things that they thought I had. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I, but JDRF is a huge one for me, and it's not just because of the giving component to that and learning more about the community, but it's very much, you know, an involved type of thing. And also Beyond Type 1 is an amazing organization, and they feature day-to-day diabetics just living their lives, and really, that's a solid community as well. Oh, great. Uh, uh, this is probably going to be, like, the most millennial answer I could possibly give you. But Bring my, favorite th- my favorite thing to do is like scroll through our pancreas pals Instagram feed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have always our been pals are the best. They really are. I'm someone who always has supported or not supported. I, I lean on peer review and peer accounts. Mm-hmm. So I love going through and just seeing what people, because I mean, people put really good information in Instagram posts about, oh, I tried this like with exercise today and I took this many units and ended up here. Like, I just like knowing what other people are doing. And I feel like personal accounts that are tracking diabetes, like they're just so honest and they're so to the point. 
like that's my favorite place to get real information is from real people. Okay. Well, true. You guys, it has really been a pleasure having the two of you on our show. And like I said, we're going to follow up with a follow up podcast. I would, I would love that. And I think we're going to get a lot of shout outs from the audience wanting more. Um, so just <laughs> we to, hope so. Yeah, so I wouldn't, but <laughs> so to find out to, to hear uh, Pancreas Pals, you can download it from wherever you get your pod podcasts, and to you can also go to your Instagram page, which is Pancreas underscore Pals, right? Mm -hmm. Yep, and visit our website pancreaspals.com as well. Okay, and I'm going to also add a little plug for On Track Diabetes. Hopefully you will be interested in coming to On Track Diabetes for recipes, advice, inspiration, and podcasts.